great. All right, let's go. Here we go. Okay, welcome. My name is Levi. I'm one of the pastors here. So thanks, Bob. Bobby, love the encouragement. That's so kind. You're, that's, yeah, that just makes me feel good inside. This is why I come to church. Love it, love it. Come to church for encouragement. So we're going to jump right into it. I don't know where you're at in terms of like Romans. If you're excited that we're finishing Romans, you're like, finally, or you're like, no, I actually really enjoyed it. I don't know, but we're coming to an end. We'll get to Psalms here in, in uh, not next week, but the week after that. But we've got two more Sundays here in Romans 16. If you've been with us over the past two weeks, you will have heard me mention this book several times. It is called Gospel Patrons, written by a guy named John Reinhardt, who I think's like my age. He's mid-30s, something like that. Incredible, incredible book. I have, I think, seven copies left. A couple of them are spoken for, and I will give one of them to you on two conditions. One, you promise to read it, right? I know, I know some of you, you take books and you never read them. This is... <laughs> This is not for you. This is not a collection, right? I mean, you stuff, no. You got to take it, you got to read it. So you got to read it. And two, after you're done with it, that you will agree to pass it on to someone that you think it will inspire and or encourage after you. So those are my two criteria. If you're willing to do those two things, then I will give you a copy of this book. Now, if you haven't been with us, you'll be like, what is this book, Gospel Patrons? And what is gospel patronage? That's kind of a, a weird word. What is that exactly? So I'm going to give you a definition just to catch you up. A gospel patron is someone who is personally and financially involved in supporting Christian leaders who proclaim the gospel. So that's what it is. Someone who's personally and financially involved in supporting Christian leaders who proclaim the gospel. That's what it is, but I want to tell you why this book means so much to me personally. Why does it mean so much to me personally? It's given language to my brother and I that has helped us see and embrace our respective roles in God's kingdom without feeling left out or less than. Some of you know this about me, some of you don't, and you've been really confused out in public. I have a twin. I have an identical twin who looks just like me. So if I've ever seen you out in public and you're like, hey, there's Levi, and you waved, and I just look like deer in headlights, it's because it's not me. I'm not being rude, it's my twin brother, okay? So I grew up as a twin, and being a twin is, is awesome in a lot of ways. You get an instant best friend, but it's also really challenging in a lot of ways too, because you get an instant and direct standard of comparison. Whether you like it or not, there's someone who looks exactly like you, same exact age, you're going to compare yourselves to one another, others are going to compare each other to, to the other, so it's awesome in a lot of ways, but it's also, it's also pretty difficult sometimes too. So a little bit about my story. Since the eighth grade, I've been on track to be uh, a pastor. I felt the call into ministry, I'll never forget it, I was sitting in a church pew listening to a sermon Alan Rudder at Lockport Mennonite Church over in Stryker, and he was talking about the shortage of pastors, and I remember feeling like, like there was a spotlight on my face, like my heart was going to explode, like God was just sticking his finger into my back saying, this is you. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to do that, no way, like I'm not good enough, all the things you think. And uh, needless to say, 
that was from about eighth grade till my junior year in high school. People would say things, the Lord would do things in my spirit and heart that was just reaffirmed, confirmed, until finally I went on a, uh, a, a not a mission trip, we went to a youth conference, and I was talking to the Lord and, and kind of giving him the business. I was like, I don't really want to do this. I don't think I'm good enough, all this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, if you want me to do this right now, you need to make it clear, 100% clear. And this guy gets up, and he's speaking, and he says, so... We're going to do something different. I'm going to open the mic up. We've been here for a couple days, and I'm just going to, any student who wants to share can just get up and and share what the Lord's been doing in your life. And this kid, I prayed that, I kid you not, first kid up after I prayed that, five seconds later, he gets up on stage and he says, listen, I've felt a call in my life from God since about the eighth grade. I was listening to a sermon, and, and, and I just felt like God was speaking to me. And I've been telling him I can't do it, I'm not good enough, I don't want to do it, I don't make enough money. I was going to be an engineer, which is my plan. I was going to be an engineer. And I said, and he says, today, I just know in my heart that God said, you're going to be a pastor. And I just start weeping. I'm like, okay, God, fine. I was like two by four across the face. Just do it. Some of you have prayed for two by fours, right? He gave me one in regards to this. And so I'm crying and, and my youth leaders are like, what is going on? Like, what's wrong with you? So I tell them the whole story, what I just told you. And they're smiling like idiots. I'm like really broken up here, and you guys are what? What? You're smi- Why are you smiling? Quit! And they're like, Levi, we've known you've been called to a pa- to be a pastor, and we've been praying that God would make it clear to you, but we we didn't feel like it. Out, it was our job to tell you. We felt like if He was actually calling you, that He would He would confirm that call, call for you. And so we just want to say everything that you've heard, everything that you've been feeling, we affirm. So that's kind of my story. That's how I've been in, into ministry since eighth grade and then confirmed my junior year. That's kind of been my track, right? That's been my track. And I'll be honest, um, as, I, as I went through life, I always felt a little bit left out, a little bit less than when I compared my call to my brother's call. My brother has a similar call. It's just not into pastoral ministries. From about seventh grade, he's filled a call into engineering as a mission field. I kid you not, when he was in seventh grade, he built this as a seventh grader from scratch. That was an engine, and then he made that. In high school, he made this. That was his senior project. It has a bigger engine. It's a little bigger. And then in college, he made this. In his spare time, right? And I know what you're all thinking. We wish Logan was leading this church because he seems way cooler. <laughs> he seems way cooler than you. And you would be right, but I'm better looking. <laughs> I joke, but where, where we go in that is, is that, that standard of comparison thing, right? We, Logan and I compared ourselves as well. We constantly compared ourselves with one another. And it's funny how each of us felt left, left out and less than at times in regards to what we felt like God was calling us to do. I've looked at Logan over the years and always been a little bit jealous, right? The money you can make in the business world will always be more than what you can make in ministry. Always. This church does a phenomenal job of supporting me and my family. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying... If I was in the business world, I, my earning potential would be so much bigger than what it is. And I've always kind of felt a little not great about that. Also, the prestige that you get by like 
building race cars and, I don't know, doing things out in the industry world or what, I don't know, the success and, and the things that you can do from a business standpoint. It's very different from what pastors experience. Not to mention, Logan is, is finishing things. He's building cars. He's at Souders putting lines in and helping people make products that you can see. That, like, at the end of the day, you go home, it's like, I built that. I hardly ever see what I've done for the day. Like, I read books, you know? Like, what'd you do today? I read a few books, uh, you know? So I've always felt a little less than and a little left out in some ways in regards to what the Lord's called me to do. Ironically, so has Logan when he's compared what God has called him to do in the kingdom to what God has called me to do in the kingdom. Growing up, I kid you not, people in our church and our faith community would ask him, now, are you the other one? Are, are, you, the, are you the one that's going to be the pastor, or are you the other one? Which, if you're a twin, they do that. Now, are you this one or that one? But that, that's almost always, always what people would say, especially in the faith community. And everybody, they meant well. But as a teenager who's trying to figure out your identity, do you hear what that sounds like? Now, are you the one that's going to be important and do good Christian things? Or are you the pagan out in the back of the church doing keg stands? Right? <laughs> Which one are you? Right? Are you the pastor or are you the, you're the pagan? Which one? And so he's always felt a little bit less, less than, a little bit left out, because people would say things, again, no one meant this wrong. But sometimes it would come out like what God's calling you to do is not as important and as significant as what God is calling your brother to do, which is just patently false. But this is how Satan works, church. And this is why Paul, in another letter that he wrote to the group of Galatians, goodness, Galatians, he writes to the Galatians, and he says, it's, it's not wise that we compare ourselves to others. We shouldn't compare ourselves, what God's calling us to do. We should not compare that with others. Instead, we should just concern ourselves with testing our own actions before the Lord. If you remember from two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that if you are in Jesus, you have been chosen. And you haven't just been chosen. You've been chosen to be a star player on Team Jesus. But... The position that he has for you, it might not be the position that he has for someone else. And that's not a bad thing. It's just different. Now, it would be overly simplistic to say that God only has two positions on his team. And he's got the proclaimers and he's got the patrons. That's a little bit overly simplistic. But generally speaking, it's not a bad way to represent things. The reality is God's team has a diversity of positions and important roles to play. And the important thing is to remember that not all positions are the same, but they are all equal, and they are all incredibly valuable and important. Along with that, it is vital that you find out what your position is on Team Jesus and learn to live into it with everything that you have in an effort to expand God's kingdom. It may be on the front lines, in direct ministry, right? Proclaiming the gospel and preaching. It might be alongside a proclaimer that you come alongside. It might be behind the scenes in some way as a, as a patron. I don't know. I don't know what your role is, but God has a calling for you. He has a destiny for you. And usually it falls in lines with how, with how you've been gifted. So that means that you can be called into ministry, but that also means you can be called into the business world. You can be called 
to start an optometry office. You can be called to Campbell's. You can be called to be an engineer. You can be called to do a lot of things by God. Do you know and remember how Jesus called his disciples? It's okay if you don't. I'm about to tell you. Do you remember? He called fishermen. And he did what? He taught them to fish for men. See, this, this is what Jesus does, church. When we get selected to be on Team Jesus, usually he asks us to do what we do, to do what we've been gifted to do, but to shift things a little bit, to do it differently for him. Do what you do, just learn to do it differently for Jesus. Jesus comes along to a couple of the disciples. He says, hey, you guys know how to fish? Awesome. I want you to learn to, to do what you do but do it differently for me. I want you to learn how to fish, but how to fish for me. For my brother, he says, I have gifted you to build stuff. I have gifted you to be an engineer. Now, Logan, on Team Jesus, I want you to do what you do, but learn to do it for me. Learn to do it for me. Don't just do it to make money. Don't just do it to make a name for yourself. Do what you do, but do it differently for me to build and expand my kingdom. See your calling in the workforce, wherever it is, as a mission field. See the resources that you've been entrusted with because of whatever you're doing in the mission field as means to expand God's kingdom, to come alongside his local church and the proclaimers that are out there preaching on the front lines. See, church, your job in God's kingdom is for you to figure out what role you've been chosen to serve. Figure out what God is calling you to do, to do, whether it's business or construction or whatever, and then learn to live into that calling in a way that you seek to be useful to God. When you do this, God will use you in powerful ways that will advance his kingdom and will help you leave a legacy behind that you can be proud of and that God is going to commend you for. You're not, you might not hear that commendation. Right, That celebration of the work that you've done. You might not hear that in this life, but I want you to know, Jesus wants us all to know, that at the end, in the book of Revelation, there is a list, and your name is in it if you're in Jesus. If you know Jesus, you've been chosen to be a star player on his team, and Coach Jesus says, I'm watching you, how you live your life. If you are in me, in me, he says, I have put, in you, put your name in my book, the Lamb's book of life. And at the end, Jesus says, I'm going to read from this book and I'm going to list all of the things that I want to praise you for, for the ways you've, you've allowed me to work in and through your life. I want to I list the things before the multitudes of why I love you, of who you are, of the nickname that I am going to give you that you can be proud of, I'm going to list all the things that I've seen you do that I want to honor you with. Jesus is going to do that just like Paul does for us here in Romans 16. Paul lists some names. He gives some nicknames, right? And sometimes we give nicknames to people we love and people we hate, right? Right? We do. Paul's nicknames here are for people he loves. He says, these are who, who I love. I want to I give a word or two about these people that I love to define who they are so that I can honor them. I want, I want them to receive honor in your community. And Jesus is going to do the exact same thing for us when we see him in eternity. I want you to think about that for a second. Think about what Jesus is going to do, what we're going to read Paul do here in Romans 16. Think about this. Imagine, 
Imagine if Billy Graham, if he knew Crossroads Napoleon. I know he's passed, but he's a figure everyone kind of still knows. Important out there proclaimer, preacher of the gospel, right? Imagine if Billy Graham says, hey, I've got a letter that I want to give to the church of Crossroads. Just like Paul had a letter for the book of Romans. He says, I want you to read this in your gathering. I've got this letter, I've got some instruction and some teaching I want to give you. And so we do. We read it and we listen. And Billy's got all this great words for us to to hear. It's amazing teaching. And at the end of this letter, in the letter he says, All right, now I've finished with my teaching. I've got a few names I want to mention. A few people that, that really stand out in my mind that I would like to commend before this group. Imagine if your name was on that list. What if I started doing that right now? All right, church at Crossroads, I got a, I got a few people I want to identify. I, I really want to honor this morning. For some of us, we might start to peek up and it's like, okay, here we go, right? Excited to hear my name. For others of us, we might start to feel a little uncomfortable. Is he going to name me? If he does name me, what's he going to say, right? We might start, start to feel a little worried, a little ashamed. What if I don't make that list at all? You got it? You there? That's, what, that's what's happening for us in this letter this morning. This is what Paul is doing. He's going to list a bunch of names, a bunch of patrons, gospel patrons, who God has used in many different ways to help the lost get found and the found live free. And he's not doing this to shame anyone. He's doing this to honor those that he names. And so here's what we're going to do for the rest of our time together. I simply want to walk through these names, and I want to highlight the fact that God uses all kinds of people with all kinds of gifts in all kinds of ways to help the lost get found and the found live free. And I want to do this Hopefully, to spur on some thinking in yourself, like how can I do some of these things? I want to encourage you to live your life in such a way that you can be confident that when Jesus reads your name from the Lamb's Book of Life at the end, he has something commendable to say. And before you start to get nervous, I want to clue you in, there's some good news from this list of names. For those of you that might feel, I don't know if if Jesus has anything good to say, he does. And we'll get to it. There's a name on this list that I'll, I'll specifically mention that I want you to hang with me. It's, it's good news, okay? So we'll go to Romans, Romans 16, start in verse 1. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at, oh boy, Senecre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. She has been a patron a benefactor of many, and of myself as well. So firstly, Paul says, I want to name first and foremost Phoebe. Phoebe's name means bright one, or pure, or radiant. She's called in this section, she's called a deacon, or a servant, and also a patron. We're told that she's from that town I can't pronounce, Uh, which is near the town of Corinth. And that's important to know because most scholars believe that Paul wrote the book of Romans from Corinth. So a lot of people believe that that Phoebe is probably the one delivering Paul's letter to the church in Rome, right? They didn't have email. Someone had to walk a piece of paper hundreds and thousands of miles, right, to deliver a letter. That's Phoebe. Now, we don't know this for certain, but I've done some studying this week, right? I read some books this week. (laughs) And most believe that Phoebe was a very wealthy businesswoman. 
For one thing, we're told that she's been a patron or a benefactor for Paul and many others like him. If you can support proclaimers financially, chances are you're fairly successful and you have some cash to throw around. She's not just spending it on whatever she wants. She's investing it back into God's kingdom by supporting proclaimers in God's kingdom. This means that she's not only a successful uh, businesswoman, but that she's determined to use her business to help fund and carry out God's kingdom work. She understood that where God has a vision, there also needs to be provision, and she determined to be God's provision to supply his vision for missionaries, pastors, and church planters like Paul. Along with that, many think that she's going to Rome for something to do with her business dealings, and as a part of that trip, again, she's partnered with Paul to deliver his letter. I want you to remember this. I know a lot of times when we feel like if if God's going to call us, then he's going to call us to Africa to be a missionary. You don't have to leave your job or go to Africa to live out your position on Team Jesus. Do what you do. Just do it differently for Jesus. That's Phoebe. She was called into business for Jesus to fund gospel proclaimers like Paul and to be a male woman, a male deliverer for him. Next, Paul mentions Priscilla and Aquila. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow co-workers, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but the churches of the Gentiles, that's a big group of people, we're lumped into that, the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well, greet also the church in their house. This couple is mentioned in four other books of the Bible. They're mentioned in Acts, and they're mentioned in three of, uh, three of Paul's other letters. We're told in Acts that they were tent makers by trade, but they didn't just make tents. They made tents for Jesus. Essentially, if you go read about this couple, we learn that this couple, they didn't live to work, to make a name for themselves, just to build their own business. They, they worked to support life-giving kingdom ministry. They put mission and ministry at the center of their lives, their marriage, and their work. They worked and created a successful business that I'm I'm sure employed many people, and I'm sure they used that as as an avenue to display the light of Jesus among all of their employees. But on top of that, they learned to use their wealth generated to buy a home that was big enough to host a church. Some of these homes were big enough to host maybe 100, 200 people. They had a large courtyard in the middle. And they did this more than once. We're told that when uh, Paul first meets them, they're in Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus meets in their home. And here again, as they're writing to Rome, Paul says, hey, Welcome the church that's meeting in their home. Apparently they did this more than once. They, they, I guess they learned to use the flexibility that they had by being business owners to say, hey, Paul, we can work from anywhere, right? We're, we're remote workers. We're not tied to an office. We're not tied to any specific location. Where does God need good people who want to come alongside church planters to provide and support and, and come alongside them? Where is that needed? We will go there. We will be what you need. We will provide the home and the space and and the funds. We will do that. That is who Priscilla and Aquila were. Along with that, Paul says they weren't afraid to risk their reputations or their occupations for Jesus. Instead, they chose to be upfront Christians in their workplace, to use their position for Jesus and his kingdom, 
at great personal risk. Paul says they put their necks on the line. Do you know where that metaphor comes from? Right? The guillotine. Sticking your neck out for someone. Paul says they did that for me on multiple occasions. I hope you realize this list, it's not prescriptive, right? This isn't an outline for what you specifically need to do. It's not, it's not a, a definition of what you have to do, but I hope it's stirring some ideas in you. What has God gifted me to do? What is he calling me to do? How is he, what, what's he given me? How can I use this and, and my gifts to better serve him and his kingdom through the local church? Another thing I want you to notice, every name on this list that we read is connected to a local body of believers. Here's what this means, folks. If you love Jesus, you will love and live within a local church. It doesn't have to be this one. There are other great local churches here in Henry County, in Napoleon, that you can be a part of if you're not jiving with what's going on here. We're on the same team. I don't care if you're here or you're at another local church that's preaching the gospel of Jesus and committed to the word of God. I don't care, but I want you to be plugged in, and so does Jesus. If you love him, you will be connected to his local church and learn to live within it. Paul continues. He continues to name people that, uh, that God has used to help the lost get found and the found live free. And we're going to have to move because I'm, I'm running short on time here. We're getting to the spot, too, where, where I'm going to just start butchering the names, and so here's what we're going to do. Fasten with confidence. Fasten with confidence, okay? All right. What are, where are we at? Uh, verse 5. Greet my fellow, my fellow beloved, or greet my beloved EpiPen. My beloved EpiPen, <laughs> who, was, who was the first convert to Christ. Paul says, hey, this guy was the first. That was probably scary. That, that took a lot of gumption, right? I want to honor him for stepping up and stepping out first. He wasn't the last. Praise God, he wasn't the last, but he was the first. My man Epi, shout out to him. Way to go. Way to be brave. Awesome. Verse 6. Greet Mary. I can do that one. Greet Mary who's worked hard for you. Folks, if you're saying, I don't know what my position is on Team Jesus, follow Mary's example. Follow Mary's example. Work hard for others. Work hard first and foremost for God. In whatever you do, do it with your effort, 100% effort for God. Don't do it for yourself. What you can get out of it, do it for God. In our culture right now, we live with a contract mentality. I will do for you if you do for me. That is not how we roll on Team Jesus. We do for others, we do for God, because what Jesus has done for us. If you don't know what your role is, Just start doing for God with all of your might, with all of your effort. Wherever you see him moving, join up and go hard for Jesus. Let him guide and direct you along the way. Remember from last week, plan to serve God by what? By serving others. By serving others. That's Mary. Remember Mary. She worked hard. She worked hard. Verse 7. Greet Andro and Yune, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Paul names these two. We don't really know who they are, and honestly, they have names, like some of the names that you hear, and you're like, is that a boy or a girl? Uh, We don't know. They could be a married couple. They could be two brothers. They could be two pals. What Paul says is that they were apostles, 
or they were well known among the apostles, depending on the translation. Now, there's a little confusion about this. There's some in the Christian world that would say there still are apostles with a capital A. I would disagree with that. A cap- capital A apostle was someone who saw Jesus, the risen Christ, and was specifically commissioned by him and given authority to write books of the Bible. I don't think there are any more capital A apostles, but I do think there is a gift of apostleship, which is a lowercase a, which would be an entrepreneurial uh, endeavor where you're, you're like a church planter or a pioneer or a pastor to pastors. Paul, I think, is listing them among that group, saying these guys were pastors to pastors. They were entrepreneurial. They were all about church planting and They were so committed to it that they spent some time in jail with me. All I want to say about this is that whatever you seek to do, as you seek to do what you do and do it differently for Jesus, know that there are risks. There are. It's not all rainbows and unicorns, right? Prison is a possibility. It's not something we need to fear, however. God had Paul. God had Andronicus. God had Eune. And he's got you. Trust him. And stay faithful to him no matter what. Verse 8. Greet Amplitude. I didn't even try there. Greet Ampliatus. Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Imagine you're this guy. Ampliatus. Sitting in there, sitting in church, listening to the letter being read starts out with a list of names, and everyone that comes before the list, you, you knew they were going to be there, right? They were gonna, you expected them to be there. And then you hear your name. You didn't expect your name to be read. And then you start to bristle a little bit. Oh, no. What's he going to say? What's Paul got to say to me? I hope he doesn't bring up my DUI. I hope he doesn't bring up my, I hope he doesn't bring up my girlfriend, right? I hope he doesn't bring up my girlfriend's DUI. And what does Paul say? Greet Ampliatus, my beloved. Church, I know for a lot of you, you don't feel like you're doing much for God. If the only word Jesus chooses to read about you in the Lamb's book of life is beloved, that's enough. Because that's the gospel. You are loved. Period. Not because of what you can do, not because of what you can say, not because of how productive you are in this world for God. It ain't about your works. It's about Jesus. It's about what he did. And remember what he said on the cross? It's finished. Done. It's already been done. We're fighting a battle we've already won. Because of that, because of Jesus, past, present, future sins, they're paid Beloved. Beloved. Greet Ampliatus. He's loved. Jesus loves that guy. And so do I. Not only is that beautiful, it's enough for God, church. That'll be enough for you. Verse 9. Greet Urbanus. That sounds like someone in Braveheart, right? Greet Urbanus. Our fellow worker in Christ and my beloved Stakies. Greet Ampelis, who is approved of Christ. I love this one, Apelles, approved of Christ. Do you know what it means to be approved? It means you've been tested. 
and you pass the test. Some of y'all have went through some stuff. You're going through some stuff. And yet, you're still here. You're still praising God. You're still trusting Jesus. You're still following him. Even though it's maybe from a crawl, you're still going hard after the Lord. Even after everything you've been through. I think what Paul would want you to know, what Jesus would want you to know, you're still trusting, still faithful, still moving towards Jesus. You're approved. You're approved. Church, if you've been approved by Jesus, you've got nothing left to prove. Enter into his rest. A couple more here. Greet those who belong to the family of Ooh, boy, Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Narcissus hears his name. He's like, yeah, I knew my name was going to be on there. (laughs) 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 Thanks for laughing at that. Uh, These names here, these are men who were greeted along with their families and their households. Church, the Bible teaches that the father is the head of the house. Not, he's not supposed to be the domineering head of the house. He's supposed to lead as a servant as the head of the house. You see, the question for married men in here is not whether or not you should be leading your family. It's whether or not, are you? Are you? Dad, if you're on Team Jesus, your primary position and purpose on his team is to lead your family toward Jesus. I listened to a pastor this week from realfaith.com. He said, uh, what did he say? He said, Promise Keepers did a study. Promise Keepers did a study. And what I'm about to say is not meant to discourage anyone. I know we have some single family, uh, single mom, single dads in here doing it. And you're, and you're killing it. And, and Jesus loves you. And Jesus is powerful enough. And the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to overcome the statistics that I'm about to share. But we do have these statistics. They say if a mom takes their kids to church by herself and dad is gone or or not involved, the chances of those children continuing to worship in a local church is 2%. Again, the Holy Spirit can overcome that. If it's reversed, if a dad takes their kids to church, even if the mom doesn't come or if the mom comes, the chances of those children continuing to worship Jesus in a local church is 67%. We're living in a world right now where we see the effects of absent fathers. We don't need bigger government. We don't need more education. We need men to step up and be the dads that they were called to be in Jesus. That's what we need because that's how God's ordered the family. Ladies, you are so important as well. This is not a less than thing. Equal in value, different in function. And God has said, if you're a dad, you're my primary leader. Step up. Lead your family. Paul commends a group of men that are doing just that. Verse 12. Greet those workers in the Lord. Tryphana, Tryphasa. Greet the beloved Persis. Greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord, also his mother. Rufus. Let me tell you a little bit about Rufus. We don't know this for a fact, but in Mark 15, 21... There's a guy by the name of Simon or Simeon who we're told carried Jesus' cross, right? He was beaten, mocked, beat, and then the Romans made him carry his cross to the hill where they were going to hang him on it. Well, he got wore out in that process, and he couldn't carry his cross anymore. So some guard grabbed a guy out of the crowd, Simon or Simeon, the father of Rufus, 
We don't know this for certain, but that Rufus could be this Rufus. So his dad, what did your dad do in the church? Oh, he carried Jesus' cross. Really? Oh, yeah, metaphorically? No, literally, he carried it. He carried Jesus' cross. What was your mom like? Well, she's my mom. She also happens to be the mom of the Apostle Paul. If you know him, he's written a few books of the Bible, right? Kind of a big deal. That's Rufus. A lot to live up to. Here's what I want to say about this. Ladies, this could be your role on Team Jesus. We all need a mom. Even the Apostle Paul needed a mom. Great Rufus, the chosen of the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me also. You may wish that you could be a mom and you haven't been blessed with children yet. You may have lost your children. You might be a mom right now. I don't know, but maybe the Lord is calling you, is gifting you to be a compassionate, loving, merciful, strong force in the corner of men and women in the church who are serving out in a very harsh world. They just need a mom. Maybe that's your role on Team Jesus. Don't just be a mom. Be a mom for Jesus. Verse 14. Greet. Asyncretus? Phlegm? Hermes? Petrovus? Hermas? And the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus? Julia, Nerysus, and the sister, and Olympics, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. So Paul lists a few more folks here, and then he says, all right, I want you to turn to your neighbor, I want you to give him an old smacker on the lips, right? So we, we believe, we don't just believe that you should be a hearer of the word, we, should, we believe you should be a doer of the word. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor, I want you to... We're not going to do that, obviously. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. The church community should be a place where people are warmly welcomed. Whether you're bringing people and ministry into your house or you're coming into God's house, we should all be striving to welcome people warmly in whatever way is culturally acceptable. In the Middle East, they do the, the kissy thing on the side of the cheeks, right? Here, maybe it's a fist bump or a handshake. Maybe it's a hug with the, the taps. Not too many taps. Too many taps and it's weird. Just like three, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Just a couple taps. <laughs> Just a couple taps, right? We should strive to be a welcoming place. A welcoming place in our homes, in God's house. Make people feel welcome. If you see somebody that you don't know here, go up to them and say, hey, you may have been here for a while. I haven't met you yet. What's up? Tell me something you're, you're, you're excited about. Don't just ask about the weather. What's one good thing that's happened to you this week? All right? That's a long list that we've been through. But I hope the Lord has started to stir in you the idea of what we're driving for here. You're called on to his team. You have a position. You just need to figure out what it is. Learn to do what you do, but do it differently for Jesus. I'll stop talking. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for having a destiny for us. Lord, there's not much worse in this world than, than not knowing what we're supposed to do. I pray for the graduates. That's a scary time as everybody's asking the question, so what are you going to do with your life? And many of them don't have it figured out yet. I pray, Father, that they would know that that's okay. And you would help them to follow in the example of this Mary listed in this text. Just to do something, do anything, to do it for you, to do it with all their effort. I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that you would help us to sort out and discern what the things you are calling us into are. How have you gifted us spiritually 
and otherwise, physically, with our mental capacities, and maybe we're good with numbers or drawing. I don't know, Lord. You know. Help us to know, and help us, give us the creativity inspired by your Spirit to know how to use the gifts that you've given to us for your kingdom. I thank you, Father, for the promise that our name is written in the book of life, not because of what we do, but because of what's already been done. That said, Lord, I think each and every one of us would like to hear a few words spoken that that you're, you're proud of. So I pray that you'd help us, by the power of your Spirit, learn what those things are and begin to live them out for your glory, for our joy. Amen.